the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, 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 investing in more. What I do is a lot of analytical work, and I try to make it human. A lot of what I do is take a look at what is, I compare stocks. Super important to grasp that idea right here, right now. I think Google's way more expensive than Apple, but they're in different businesses. Google doesn't dominate hardware as much as Apple does. So you have to start looking at, you know, how do you value a hardware company versus a software company? But then you start, this is a bad example, and I should just shut it down. Because it's no longer just a hardware company. And you have to give higher value. You don't have to, but higher valuations are usually claimed by software and uh, services companies. Especially software as a service, right? So a lot of what I do is I look at the long-term debt of a company. Long-term debt compared to their equity. I look at the net cash per share. A company like Dolby Labs is a $70 stock, but it has almost $10 cash. That's good. When you have no debt and you got that much cash, it's a positive to me. And when you start going negative in the net cash uh, per share, it starts to become a problem. Free cash flow is probably one of the easiest determiners of winners when you're picking stocks. Enterprise value versus its sales. Enterprise value versus its EBITDA. Also super important. But if I were to talk about enterprise value, I would bore you quickly. And EBITDA, we all know, is fun to say, but it's kind of a, a, a phony term, and it pisses me off. It's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. Fun to say, right? But it's also saying what you would earn if you didn't have to pay interest on your, your debt, taxes, um, depreciating assets. It, it's, it's a bit of a problem. I like Amber Crombie and Fitch as my number one value stock. I could put together a list for you and say, these are stocks that'll do okay in a stock apocalypse because there's some value to them. I like Ralph Lauren, for instance. It's got free cash flow yields of about five, almost 6%. Cash per share of 24 bucks on $130 stock price. I can make a case for Southwest Airlines as a value. Probably my favorite value stock is Williams-Sonoma, in large part because when you go into Williams-Sonoma, you spend money. And you could just get, like, plastic cups that'll last a lifetime, but you're like, nope, I want a beer stein. So I do like, I do 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 very much so like Williams-Sonoma. If you're going to put stuff in your home because you're in your home a lot, you might as well put quality stuff, in my opinion. Target's a value stock. Walgreens is a value stock. A lot of retailers are value. 
But then you can sneak in a tech company like a Sienna. And I know, God, do you remember Sienna? I do. Do you remember it was kind of a, a hot and sexy tech stock and it was all about optics and sending information faster through the internet, through the switches and the routers of the world? We haven't talked about the technology of Sienna in 10 years. It's still out there and it's become a value. If you're with me or against me, got to choose a side because this is a civil war of investing, right? 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. So I think it's important that you have a concept in your mind of what value is and comparing stocks. Now, the problem with growth stocks is if they get some momentum behind them, you never know when that momentum is going to break. The problem with value stocks is you don't know what is a value trap because they're not growing as fast, but they have a lot of attractive features on their balance sheet otherwise. Seriously? Oh, so we got that going on. As far as the markets today goes, there's not anything super dynamic to report on the GDP numbers. Those are old. Activists are starting to sniff around Mattel because Barbie stinks compared to an iPad. Okay, Jody, what do you want for Christmas, little Jody? Do you want a Barbie doll or do you want an iPad? I want an iPad. Right? You with me against me. Got to choose a side. So they're starting to, uh, a lot of people think someone's going to step into Mattel, fire a lot of people, take the company private, or try to make Barbie an iPad thing. Not going to happen. Again, things change. Kids are now dancing to Fortnite dances. A couple years ago, they were all excited about Pokemon. Pokemon Go. I was around when Pokemon cards were a thing, and I hated it. So I always felt like, why would you spend money on paper, on cards? With It just made no sense to me. President Trump's out there today tweeting, saying the White House counsel Dan McGahn, Don McGahn, will be leaving his position in the fall, as many expected. Um, so that's probably, I'm, I'm going to say, S&P 500, Wall Street kind of story. A little bit of a shift going on out there. Man, looking at Donald Trump's Twitter page, I just opened it up. And I, there's a lot going on. That's all I'll say is there's a lot going on there. I'm really rich. He is really rich. So, um, he actually did something kind of smart. He stopped building buildings. He just he let other people build them and he put his name on them. You might remember a couple of years ago that there was a, a big Trump Tower, I want to say in Tampa. That went up and people started suing them because it promised luxury and the people who built it delivered crap, garbage, uh, nothing lovely. Probably not poop, but you get the idea. Hey, one of my favorite companies is going to get ready to report. Um, and they've got a conference call that if you get a chance to listen to, do. Salesforce.com is set to report results tonight. I think they're a fascinating company that has a lot of upside. Stock has doubled since the start of 2017, making a run to the 75 area to its current 150 neighborhood. If you've not seen the Salesforce Tower because you live out of the market of the Bay Area, go Google the Salesforce Tower. It's intimidating. Winning. I hate it. It changed our skyline for the worse, in my opinion. You could see it 80 miles away uh, if you're on a peak kind of thing. So revenue up 25% year over year is expected out of Salesforce.com. Um, revenue growth of 25% is pretty darn good. 
So the margins are something that you take a look at because that's when you get big, that's how you kind of move forward. Box, cloud storage and content management company, delivered quarterly results slightly exceeding analyst expectations. Um, I once went, I once saw Box at a retreat, and I just wasn't that impressed with the quality of the employees. And that's a really bad reference point, and I've, I've stayed away from Box ever since. Maybe I should take a look at it again, right? Maybe I, I let some sort of personal bias get in my way. Investing is all about learning how to compare. Who would you compare Box to? You get the idea. Amazon Web Services. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial, money investing, and more. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back in. Good day. Let's get you to retirement. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton to talk about some of the issues. CFP Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Hit events, sign up for an event coming up to an area near you. Use code RADIO25 to get in for free while at newfocusfinancial.com. Mr. Burton, home insurance. Yes, sir. Home insurance. It's one of those things that um, I don't think people actively think about it much. And then I guess you think about it when you need it, right? I, I know they don't think about it because we've been kind of on this really uh, proactive bend to make sure that clients are looking at their homeowner's insurance. And part of it is because of what we've seen in the Bay Area over the last several years. And then we have a ton of rebuilding up north for the fires. Um, So one, it's hard to get good contractors. And two, prices have gone up drastically across the board. You're talking about, in some places on the peninsula, six, seven hundred bucks a square foot for rebuilding costs. That's insane. Um, I was looking at a policy the other day of somebody that was closer down in San Jose. And they were insured on replacement costs for their home for less than half of what it would cost to rebuild it if something happened. That's pretty dramatic. And just uh, I mean, can you imagine something awful happens like up north and the fires or whatever, and then you you think you're covered, but you're not, and you're trying to find what half a million, six hundred thousand dollars all of a sudden to rebuild a home that you were living in? That's going to be my exit story. I'm going to fake my own death in a fire. He can't do it now. And then, it, then it's gonna be under. Then one. it's gonna be underinsured. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually talking to a contractor the other day, and it it kind of upset me because he said, "Yeah, so right now I could I could throw on an extra hundred thousand dollars on any project and they'll pay me because they have no other option." I'm like, "Really?" Yeah. And the answer is, "Yep." So you're right. The costs are going out of control, and the contractors know it. So. Uh, how do you think we should go about looking at our homeowner's policy? Because a lot of people, Chad, this is very common. They will insure, if it's a million-dollar home, they'll insure a million dollars, even though 700000 of that's land, 300000 is rebuilding, but it's like you're saying, it's probably 400000 now to rebuild it. Um, yeah. Some yeah. people go out and get a million-dollar policy, even though you probably only need a $400,000 policy. Right. And so that's the thing. It's not like it's the simplest thing to understand in the world, um, and you, you need to check in. Just like we tell people, you know, every so often I'll call, you know, my cable company and say, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to go satellite because this is just too much money. And, you know, there's, I'm not really happy with the service and then I get a discount. Right. So I try to do that every so often. Um, well, now they're on to you with your homeowners. What's that? Now they're going to be on to you. 
I know, I know. Great, they're listening. They're listening in all the time. But anyway, homeowner's insurance can be a little bit crazy because you have a couple of things that go on in a homeowner's policy, and there's an other structures policy. Some homeowner's policy consider a deck and other structure. Um, there's a lot of people that I know that have homes, but they have a large you know, shed or something like that on the property. So they think, oh, I'm, I'm underinsured because to rebuild everything, it would be a certain amount. But your other structures is typically a percentage of your normal dwelling replacement coverage. Does that okay. make sense? Sure. So if you have a really fancy deck overlooking something um, and you think that you couldn't rebuild your home for your dwelling coverage, maybe your deck is, in your policy's case, like mine, USAA is like that. Um, so maybe it, it is covered and you don't know it. Um, I, I was just recently you know, finishing a, a remodel issue, so having to refi and then update my homeowner's coverage. The, blanks, the bank said, oh, you're not insured for enough. But then I had to send them a bunch of stuff from USA saying, well, here's the dwelling coverage. Here's the other structures coverage, which includes the deck and the concrete. And then it also has this um, guaranteed issue, uh, guaranteed replacement. So sometimes in a policy, they call it a guaranteed replacement cost. Or if it looks like you might be underinsured, there might be something in your policy that has a guaranteed replacement cost, which increases the insurance and the coverage if your basic doesn't. So it, it's not just as simple as looking at the, the face, the contract of your policy, and thinking that you're underinsured. You still might be insured. I'm not sure. It's worth a call. Spend a half an hour to make sure that the place that you live is properly covered if something bad happens. So... How do you find, I use USAA and GEICO for most of my types of insurance, whether it's homeowners, renters, or um, car. How do you find, you use USAA. I tend not to use like the state farms. I don't, I tend not to use the local mom and pops because it is discounted if you go with a big national call center firm. And um, what advice would you give me or what advice would you give your kid on getting insurance if USAA is not an option? USAA is awesome, by the way. It really is. If anybody in your family has some sort of a military background, I I really love working with USAA. Um, But sometimes there's certain things like, uh, for example, umbrella coverage for me, based on field and stuff like that, I have to kind of go reinsure on that to get the proper amounts. Um, There's specific situations where clients might have a a ranch or some sort of a farm property that might be different. So there's certain things that USA won't cover. Uh, They don't really do boater's insurance, Rob. I I go through them to get through to a different company for boat insurance, for example. So there's different things. I had a client recently in Portland, Oregon, that went with like an American family because they were able to get earthquake insurance without having to do the retrofitting. So it kind of depends on your situation. Um, and you know, there's the, there's a fault in the Northwest, just as scary as there is in say Hayward. Right. So you got to think about those things. It, it, there is certain times where you got to shop around based on your circumstance. Who gets earthquake insurance in the Pacific Northwest? Oh, you haven't heard about the fault up here there. I mean, there's, there's just as much chance that there's a giant one in the Northwest as there is in the Bay area. Good for Dwayne, the rock Johnson. You can make another uh, <laughs> make another disaster flick, and this one take down the Space Needle, right? Yeah, isn't he working now with a giant ape um, that could maybe help you know dig people out if something bad happens? What's that I, movie that's out now? I'm just going to leave you hanging there. <laughs> uh, isn't he working with a giant ape? Yes. <laughs> oh, when I was updating my insurance too, Rob, because I 
you know, they were saying, hey, by the way, you know, you can go double your liability insurance on your property for an extra 20 cents a month. I'm like, sold. Just put it on there. Wow. So, yeah. so it, it's worth a call. People really need, I mean, if you haven't talked to your insurance agent for your homeowner's policy, you need to give them a call, especially in the Bay Area, especially down the peninsula, because you're, most people are drastically underinsured on their homeowner's policies. The Wade and the Rock Johnson movie with the ape is called Rampage. That was yeah. based on was a, video- a video game. It was a video yeah. game, but I don't remember it. I kind of remember it, you know, post Donkey Kong, a little better graphics, maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Chad Burton is a gamer. You have a, a lovable heart after all. Anything but a gamer. I, my kids don't let me play with them on video games because I'm like, if it's a shooting game, I'm just shooting the corner and the ceiling and I can't get out of the corner of the building. He's bad. the best. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. He is a gamer. He's a loving man. He's a financial planner. You can hear him 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. here on KDOW AM 1220. Find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Summer's over. Long live fall. 800-516-1220-H calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. The markets are kind of interesting, right? I hope you've learned that. Starting to see some analysts come out with predictions for 2019, one of them up 11%. As we head into the fall, and Labor Day has concluded, uh, most of the summer fun's over, but Wall Street will pick up the slack and give us some fun on occasion, right? Bring in Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Talk about the markets as it shifts into the fall gear. Is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Hey, Rob. I'm doing okay. Good to be back with you. Yeah. You, are you full force like everyone else coming back from the holiday weekend? We are. The uh, The fun is over. <laughs> the fun is over. The fun on the market. When's that party going to end? When's the punch bowl going to leave the party? When should I head for the exits? Yeah, that's, uh, that is the $64,000 question. Well, it certainly looks like the uh, the fun isn't ready to be over with just yet. Um, you know, the market, while well, it continues to tackle with all of the trade issues, obviously, um, and some budding, you know, emerging market currency issues, uh, you know, continues to be steered by the narrative that you have strong earnings and economic growth. And I think you could see that reflected even in today's intraday action here where, you know, you got off to a weak start, um, some general profit taking, and of course the ostensible excuse for that was the, the trade tension with Canada and China, which, you know, we've been dealing with for months as it is already, and yet we hit record highs last week. Um, so that provided a nice excuse to sort of back off a little bit at the open. And then, lo and behold, you got a, a really terrific ISM manufacturing index number uh, at 10 o'clock Eastern time, which turned things around a little bit, at least helped temper those selling efforts. And, and I think it was a reflection of the market's uh, appreciation for data that continues to show the relative strength of the U.S. economy, which continues to promote this notion that uh, you should continue to get uh, ongoing earnings growth, and therefore you've got some support here still for the broader market. 
So thank you for giving that answer. And please note, and everyone note, I'm being a little sarcastic, but I'm looking for an exact time to run out of the markets. Um, it just doesn't work that way, as we like to say on this show. Uh, are you excited by the transition of the, the calendar to the fall and some of the drama that it can bring with the markets tending to have some pretty scary months of September and October? Well, you know, it is uh, interesting, you know, that I guess you can back up, though, and, and say, what you know, what's that adage that you sell in May and go away? Uh, right. And that certainly didn't uh, benefit anybody who <laughs> who should be long the market. Uh, the stock market had a tremendous run, uh, you know, if you just look at that measurement period from the start of May until, uh, until last Friday. Um, yeah, September, you know, has one of those, uh, it's one of those months that, you know, has some scary falls. Uh, embedded in it, as is October. Um, but, you know, seasonally, you're, you're, you're running closer to a period that is seasonally quite strong for the market, that November to April period. But uh, that'll be curious this year, though, certainly, because uh, you, you have the midterm elections, you know, they are going to come in that uh, first week in November. Uh, and that's going to... Um, change things one way or another. You know, you can't predict the future here, but I think that knowing that that midterm election is hanging out there and how it could alter uh, the course of things, uh, you, you probably get a market here that's a little bit skittish after such a strong run here uh, over the summer months, uh, maybe acts a little skittishly and, and chops around here up until those midterm elections and until it has some closure on, on what the uh, composition of Congress is going to look like in the aftermath. Sounds about right. What are you expecting as far as the drama goes with the midterm elections? Because, you know, clearly senators and congressmen, uh, representatives, they, they they form a lot of the bills. They form a lot of the spending going forward. And I think we all look at our spending in the United States as dire, drastic, horrific. Why are we doing this to future generations? And yet, you know, we continue to swear these people in and vote them in, so to speak. Well, you know, I guess, you know, the past has been a prelude in a way uh, because you, you, you have had that same, I'm not saying you, Rob, I'm saying it seems to be the narrative, though, with every Congress, right, is that, you know, we keep stealing from future generations, and yet there's no end to it, uh, and and partly because there has been no immediate calamity, if you will, uh, as, as a result of it. And so, you know, the market kind of has its this way about looking through those uh, those very good arguments, you know, um, that uh, there's going to be a price to pay, obviously, at some point. Um, but, you know, this market has uh, steered its way through a lot of worst-case scenarios, um, and there's been, you know, perhaps even some moral hazard introduced into the picture, obviously, from what transpired coming out of that financial crisis. But, um you know, but there hasn't been any deliberate will on the part of Congress, obviously, and our our executive leadership to really get that uh, you know deficit under control and help tame the uh, the seemingly inexorable rise in the in the national debt. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be probably one of those things where it's going to really uh, you know everyone can see it unfolding, but no one's going to recognize it until it actually happens and hits the market with with some force uh, as it relates to the deficit and debt issue and and um, 
you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how Congress looks uh, after those midterm elections and, and how that might change the shape of things and whether the market is going to show any sensitivity to it. It's interesting times, to say the least. Uh, <clears throat> we have, obviously, Warren Buffett turning 88 and getting a lot of press and a lot of media recently. I think he's one of the greatest investors of all time. He's someone I fought when I got into this industry 20-plus years ago that I could be smarter than him, but... He said the greatest thing the other day in, the, in an interview, and he still surprises me. He said, it's, I don't know when to buy. I just know what to buy. Stocks. And I'm like, good for you. And he's got some zest to him. Um, any thoughts on Warren Buffett and what he's meant to you over your career? Well, yeah, I mean, how do, how do you really argue with him? If you, I mean, if you really hold yourself up to the virtue of being a long-term investor, uh, there's no better source, I think, than, than Warren Buffett in terms of his outlook on you know, future growth for both the economy, the U.S. economy, and, and the U.S. stock market. And, and um, you know, my recollection is he says he doesn't know when to buy, he knows whether to buy, and, and, and that's and he's still buying today, you know, and so he's still uh, kind of defying those models that say, you know, kind of how you do that balance, you know, like as you get older, you know, the, the, the proportion of your portfolio that's allocated to bonds, you know, goes up, a portion allocated to stocks goes down, and, you know, a lot of people end up with like a 60-40 mix maybe later. Well, he's sitting there saying, you know, he'd be comfortable at 90% stocks, 10% bonds, right? So... Uh, somewhat of uh, unconventional wisdom there, but clearly he's got a track record that uh, that demonstrates for all to see uh, the, the the virtue of, of patience and long-term investing and not trying to time the market and investing in businesses and not just buying stocks. And, um, you know, so I have a true appreciation for his uh, investing acumen and, and his really common sense perspective on how to uh, how to look at the stock market. Good stuff. Um, changing the topic and looking at 2019, uh, a lot of people are starting to talk about emerging markets. How would you explain investing in emerging markets to your readers as well as, say, your family members? Well, you know, you, you can always start with, with the, the understanding that emerging markets generally have higher growth rates uh, than um, than developed markets, right? Because um, they're emerging, and uh, but uh, and so they oftentimes can produce higher returns for investors. But at the same time, they carry higher risk because it's kind of like a new company coming public in a way. You know, is that there's a lot of promise in the in the story, but uh, not a lot of um, operating history, if you will, that uh, that kind of mitigates some of that that risk. But with emerging markets. Um, we have seen through history how they go through spurts of really tremendous outperformance, and then there's some usually external factor that uh, kind of recalibrates things. And in this case, we'd be talking about the stronger dollar, which uh, is a negative for emerging markets that you know might be running current account deficits uh, and have a lot of dollar-denominated debt because that then makes it more expensive to repay that debt, uh, and and then a dollar. Stronger dollar tends to weigh on commodity prices, which are often the the fulcrum of growth in many of these emerging markets. And so, so that 
that really becomes a linchpin in a way that the, the dollar's behavior uh, for what could happen with emerging markets. And of course, you've got a Federal Reserve that looks as if they're going to continue to tighten, which should continue to help drive up interest rates here in the United States and, and be supportive for the dollar. So it is a risk factor that one needs to account for as we look at the 2019 outlook. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, and let's have a good fall and move into the holiday season. I know it happens fast. You are the one, the only Patrick O'Hare. You are with Briefing.com. I start my day every day reading your stuff at uh, the Briefing Professional Subscription. Uh, people can find out more at Briefing.com. The page one article is the best start of the day for anyone looking into figuring out what's going to happen on the markets today. Lots of content. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I got a big event coming up September 20th. <clears throat> Seminar, if you will, in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel. You can sign up at Rob Black Show. Going to go over some of the new tax implications because I don't know what the heck is going on with the Trump tax cuts and my property in California and my tax bracket. Is it a win or is it a loss? We're going to talk about how to approach that. Um, state planning in retirement, wealth preservation in retirement, stay away from annuities, good advice out there. But I'm also going to go over 2019 expectations and stocks that I've recently bought and some that I've sold or given up on over time. Uh, one of them is Nike. What do you do with Nike when they come out and I am I saying do the right thing? Am I wrong when I assume they're doing the right thing by using the athlete that they signed, uh, Colin Kaepernick, in an ad campaign right before the NFL starts up? Nike shares taking a little bit of a beating on that news. I own shares of Nike. Shares are down two bucks today, two twenty. It's at $80 a share. It opened at $82 a share. It dividend yield is 1%. So how often do you get a chance to buy a stock 3% off? That's like going into your grocery store and the, the guy says, I'm going to give you 5% off today. How do you feel about that? And you're like, sure. Um, so Nike's lower today, all because of Colin Kaepernick and Nike coming up with an ad campaign. Was it? Is this Nike's way of pissing off the president? Like, it does bring up some questions, right? Because in this world that we live in, Nike had to know that a new ad campaign featuring Colin Kaepernick might be poorly received. And there's this hashtag Nike boycott going around, which I'm a little bit, here's where I'm at with this. I'm a little bit tired of, like, let's boycott things that we don't politically agree with. I'm thrilled that people are boycotting In-N-Out Burger because they happen to be giving money to Republican candidates because now the lines are a lot shorter. <laughs> no, that's not why I'm, I, I'm getting a little bit tired of this. It's like, let's boycott something, anything that we don't believe in until we don't, until we go, you know what? These Nike shoes are pretty cheap and they are pretty high quality with the world's shoes. And I know people, uh, some people cringe when you say Nike is high quality because it's anyway. Um, so Nike shares down on the reveal of a new ad with a just do it 30th anniversary. I look at that as a buying opportunity. Two and a half percent, maybe not enough. But if we get five to ten percent, that's good enough for me. Kaepernick shared the first photo of the campaign on his Twitter account. He's been a polarizing figure. 
clearly, since uh, the protest of racial injustice has crossed into the world of you're not American. So, little NFL in the news. There's more NFL in the news. Can you believe it? So, Nike to me, if you could afford to be like a halftime sponsor like Visa, it might be a good investment, right? And if you think about that, when you turn on your favorite baseball or football and you see the sponsors, Visa halftime report, I'll buy Visa. Um, I'll buy the companies that do sponsor major sports in large part because they have that kind of money. Now, again, I'm not saying that's the only reason I'll buy it. I'm not saying there's a reason I would sell it if they lost that said NFL sponsorship. But it tells you that they're hitting a lot of eyeballs and business is good. Papa John's loss of the NFL sponsorship could be Pizza Hut's gain. Will I go out and buy Yum! Brands? I won't. I've never liked Yum! Brands. Um, They are KFC. They are um, They are... Um, Pizza Hut and to me Yum! Brands has kind of been like I don't know it's just Kentucky Fried Chicken's cute and it's great to talk about because everyone knows it and you've probably been to a picnic where you stopped by and picked up a bucket of chicken in your life so you kind of like have some nostalgia for it so when Pizza Hut gets that sponsorship it could be a breakout play It could be, you know, Papa John's getting sacked or benched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But when you see a big competitor like a Papa John's, and if you ever had a Papa John's pizza, it's it's pretty awful. And yet you could see like, ooh, NFL sponsorship and stock did well. So why is this so important? Because men, 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 we are men. We like to sit around and eat cheap pizza while talking to the dudes, the guys, the bros, about football games. Yeah, that's a good one. Apparently, that's as far as we we go mentally in this world. Um, but I'm fine with that. And the whole Papa John's, John Shatner, Papa John is suing Papa John's. Oh, my goodness. I'm done with that one, too. All right. That's a brand that's tarnished and toxic. How do they get out of that one? When your founder is accused of using the N-word. And then he says, well, I was just trying to show people what, how it could, oh, I'm going to sue everyone. Uh, So that's kind of a problem. So what's really at stake? Why is Pizza spending $130 million to spruce up its brand? It's, if you get a percentage of the, the pizza market, you're talking about millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Dominoes, their phones would start ringing at like 10.30 on an NFL day on the East Coast. So 7.30 on the West Coast, but the phone would start ringing. Crazy. Pizza and football go together. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.